This episode of The Guild is brought to you by Creative Edge. Creative Edge specializes in getting exposure for independent writers and authors and artists of all type. They specialize in arranging events such as book signings, library or school presentations, or any event related to the arts in general. If you are interested in seeing what Creative Edge can do for you, go into www.creative-edge.services. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Writers, Artists and Readers Guild podcast. The Guild, simply put, my name is Chris Mary Holtzman and I am your host. Uh, today, we, our special guest is the spy scholar uh, Wesley Britton, who has written uh, books that are not spy novels or has a little bit of uh, spy th- themes in them, we should say. Uh, but he's written mostly science fiction and a few uh, encyclopedias about spies and James Bond. We have a very, very interesting talk about scholarly things, about spies, and about writing in general. So, without further ado, let's talk to Wesley Britton. <laughs> this time i would like to welcome wesley Britton to the guild podcast welcome good morning i should say because i mean it's not super early but it's still early over by you how are you doing today actually i'm pretty good haven't been up all that long but uh, so far so good yeah is uh spring in in spring coming spring has been here for at least a week it's been kind of bouncing around. Some days really, really hot, and some days like today, a bit cooler. But it's been very spring-like weather. It's perfect time. Now that the pandemic is kind of slowing down here, people are getting out, doing things. I live right across the street from a park, 
So yeah. I can hear all the kids over there starting to play their games and everything. And it's like the world is coming alive, that's for sure. Well, that's good. You gotta love that. <laughs> and it's the same over here. I mean, obviously, as a lot of listeners already know, I live in, in Sweden and it's been, oh, I don't know. Swedes love being outdoors. And, and everybody. And well, I mean, I think Swedes love being outdoors more than most people, and they love being out. And uh, the Swedish government has such a, had such a hard time keeping Swedes in lockdown because you you can't lock people down in Sweden because you'd have to change the constitution, and uh-huh. there has to be an election cycle in between. You vote, and then there has to be an election, and then there has to be another vote. Um, and they can't do that, so they're not they they don't have any legal background uh, backbone to to. Uh, do that they can do recommendations and that's what they've been doing but people don't listen to it because they want to be outdoors yeah. so that's it but and and the pandemic isn't it isn't loosening up here actually we're not getting vaccinated at the speed that we should so we'll see how long it takes for us to get anywhere it's like every country in the world's got a different story in dealing with this planned pandemic yeah and of course the u.s is full of different stories all the vaccine deniers on one side and Normal people on the other. Yeah. That's it's a, a year to remember. Yeah. Or forget, depending on what happened to you this last year. Yeah. Have you seen it affect uh, any of your writing at all? No, writing? Yeah, very directly. And in a couple of stories, I'm working on some Mary Carpenter mysteries that are set 20 years in Earth's future. Okay. And one of the things that I learned working on them this last year is that if you're going to talk about a world in the future after global warming and after I have all these waves of mechanized plagues set loose by an Islamic group called the Everlasting Caliphate, you've got to pay some kind of passing mention to COVID because now it's part of our history. It's now part of our social fabric. So I have a whole scene where Mary Carpenter as a little girl listens to her parents talking about the uh, COVID-19 thing and the stuff that they went through uh, before, and they call it the gentle plague, because mm-hmm. by comparison with what I have coming, COVID nineteen is a comparatively gentle plague. It is. It is an interesting part, though. I spoke to to the actor Dan Fogler a couple of years ago, and we were talking about like how a writer's life or generations of writers uh, is um, affected by by various earth shattering events you know you have the vietnam war for that generation you have world war ii for for one generation you have and he was talking about our generation that would would include him and, and i born in the 70s yeah. and maybe early 80s have 9 11 as a as a cataclysmic event that that shifted um how literature was written and, and who the bad guys are and, and things like that and and now i think for the generations that are born maybe in the in the 90s and and even well probably less than 90s 2000s and stuff like that the temp, this pandemic even though it's not as maybe horrible in a way as um, 9-11 or anything like that, uh, that'll that'll affect them so what, what are your what is your take on that Oh, I absolutely agree on that, especially children in school age. Um, and of course, for a lot of families, they lost loved ones. To me, one of the things that's really kind of torn my heart out all year long is all the people who couldn't say goodbye to their family members in nursing homes and hospitals and things like that because they were quarantined and 
And it was, man, that's just god awful to have to be in that position. Because mm. I, I remember just a few years ago when my wife was going through her last year, just if that had happened last year, that would have been god awful because I was spending a lot of time in hospitals, rehab centers, thinking, well, come on up, celebrate. My dog's trying to get up. <laughs> and he, he knows how to do it. He's just being goofy. <laughs> oh, come on, silly. But if you're, and, and you're, I mean, we could even tie this into your own writing. I mean, you're a, 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 a spy novelist. Is that, would that be fair to say? No, no. Actually, no? I never wrote any spy books per se. Well, I wrote four nonfiction spy well, books. That's that's kind of what I meant. I'm sorry to use the word novelist, but a, a spy, would you, would I, would it be fair to call you a spy expert? Yes, it would. And so, yeah, it's so like one of my favorite things because I used for I, I kind of live in periods. Sometimes I'm a Mark Twain scholar, and then I'm a poet, and then I'm a spy expert, and then I'm a spy not spy, not sci-fi novelist. And I have been writing a lot of spy-oriented stories of late, so kind of getting into that groove with a character named Mary Carpenter. Um, uh, lost track here. Well, oh, yes, about spy stuff. Yeah, for about a decade there. That's really all I worked on and did presentations at the International Spy Museum and conducted panels for the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention. And they had um, three books from Prager Publishers that are hardcover studies of spies and fiction and movies and TV and um, uh, books. And then they had the Encyclopedia of TV Spies. And then after that, I was frankly sick of them. <laughs> <laughs> He's the shift gears, enough is enough, you know, spies. But you know, it was a lot of fun. It was, um, and sometimes things pop up like earlier this, that was last fall, I guess. Um, I got a call from Al Jazeera television of all things. Oh, really? They were doing a documentary on Israeli spy Eli Cohen, who had spied on Syria and was hung in Damascus in 1965. And I become an expert on Eli Cohen because I knew two of his brothers, um, one of which basically before he died, he left me all his research that he was doing to put a book together. And I ended up putting the book together and posting it at my SpyWise website and forgot all about it. Then I get this call from Al Jazeera. They came over here to this house where I'm sitting and um, interviewed me for a good hour and a half or so. And they included me in the documentary, which is interesting. The link to it's at my um, YouTube page where everybody else in the documentary, and there's quite a few other talking heads are speaking in either Yiddish or not Yiddish, I guess, but Hebrew or Arabic or all kinds of different languages. I'm the only English speaker in the whole production. <laughs> I think, well, that's an interesting story to have in your belt um, that you know to share with people. Um, but I mean, in the in the end, isn't that as a as a as a fellow scholar, isn't that what 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 you want, what you dream of? You want do you dream of that call from somebody saying like, we need the expertise yeah. of a scholar because that's oh, what yeah. happens it's always we need a doctor or we need a scientist we don't need a scholar yeah back in my spy years i used to get called to do interviews from denmark and england and canada and all over the u.s i spent a whole lot more time plugging my spy stuff because there seemed to be a bigger interest in it 
I suppose that was also because that was right after 9 11. Hmm. And there's a whole lot of interest in terrorism and, um, well, espionage, flat and simple. Yeah. So it was a very interesting time. I enjoyed that period of my life. I got lots of periods of my life I enjoyed, and that was one of them. Yeah. I'm looking through my, my, my notes here, my own. I have a, a stack of, uh, of papers from, from when, I, when I studied myself and I, and I was at the university. I think I have some. Some spy stuff here. I have Umberto Eco's uh, about about uh, James Bond, for instance, and yeah. stuff like that. So I, I always I was always very fascinated by by the spy genre as such because it's such a such a, a mix of uh, uh, of styles. Very uh, much so. Is that what what got you into to um, writing about the the spy in in literature? Well, actually, it was kind of since I was a child of the 60s, and that's when the bomb boom hit, and we had spies everywhere, especially on television and in movies and in books. So they were it was just everywhere. And like Man from Uncle, The Avengers, mm -hmm. Our Man Flint, In Like Flint, The Empress File, uh, the John Le Carre books, uh, the Len Dayton books. It was, it was just everywhere. And I really got into it. And this later on, um, I was writing encyclopedia articles and some of them were on James Bond things like James Bond and World of Popular Culture. I'm in there. Plus, I like the music too. Yeah, was, there's all kinds of different aspects to it that I like. And then when I was living on Legostown Road, I was getting kind of tired of writing short stuff. I've been cranking out articles and essays and encyclopedia entries and that kind of thing. And then for about five years, I wrote a lot of poetry. Did a pretty good successful run of getting published. And I said, I'm tired of small things. Is there something I can do that's bigger? And then I kind of thought about my attic here. I have got all the research in the world one person could do on spy television. There's, there are a ton of books on specific shows. The Avengers, The Prisoner, um, you name it, you go down the checklist. So but nobody has done a book about the entire genre as a whole. So I did. Nope. Uh, I think so. What you have to do, you have to fill that void. And I think I tell my students that all the time is when they do the research of the, for themselves, whenever whatever research there might be, is just like you need to for it to be interesting. It needs to be something that that people just can't Google to get the answer from. You have to yeah. do some real research, and you have to fill fill a void as something that is necessary, whatever minor that might be, or whatever major that might be. The fun part of that was interviewing a lot of the participants. Like I got to be good friends with Vic Fleck, who played the James Bond theme. And when mm -hmm. I used to co-host a radio show, I got to interview George Lazenby a couple of times. There you go. The guy who played James Bond and on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And making the connections with the um, spy committee was a lot of fun. Did you ever talk to Umberto Eco at all? Talk to who? Umberto Eco. Uh, he was a... Uh... He's a scholar as well, and he's specifically uh, James Bond scholar. What's he wrote his name again, uh, Umberto Eco. He wrote uh, in the name of the Rose, for instance. No, the book. No, uh, because -uh. that's I think that's what we we read. And my my uh, tutor in I don't even know if I have that, but my my tutor in at the uh, the university uh, was a a huge proponent of popular fiction, and actually did a lot of research on the Swedish. Uh, 
kind of like spy stories, adventure stories. And he was an expert on William Lequeur, who did a lot of spy and adventure stuff in the in the beginning of the turn or the turn of the century. And a uh, I recognize that name as soon as you say it. Yeah, he was very inventive, if memory serves. Yeah, kind of ahead of his time with submarines, things like that. Yeah, is that, uh, thing? is that the right guy? Well, William Lequeur was very productive and very inventive. He did a lot, but he did a lot of different genres. A lot of, but he did a lot about spies in the First World War and and even before the the First World War, the stuff that took place in the uh, in the pre in the prelude to the war. Um, but yeah, no, it's an interesting. So, explain when I was when I was at the university, and this is for my own interest's sake, really. Uh, when I was at the university, we did it. They they differed when I studied. Uh, popular literature, they differed between agent novels and spy novels. Would you say that there's a difference between the two? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's all kind. In fact, a lot of things that people consider spies aren't really spies because the actual out and out spy is going to be someone who goes undercover and takes on a cover identity and invests a long, long time in implanting himself or herself into whatever it is they're trying to penetrate. Now, secret agents on the other hand, like, like James Bond isn't really a spy. You know, he's a secret agent. He's an investigator. Um, like the British series, The Avengers, they often talk about the fact that they aren't really spies. Mm. They're like police investigators, except the enemies that they're investigating aren't um, focused on small things like uh, murder in the cathedral or something happening in a small British town mm -hmm. or something like that. They're taking on enemies who want to take over the world using some <laughs> kind of science fiction sort of thing half the time or got some kind of big threat. And they kind of, sorry, what? No, no, continue. Um, yeah, I talk about that a lot actually in spy television that for a lot of those um, spy shows, they're really mm -hmm. secret agent shows. Yeah, and very, very few are spy spy, except for like John Le Carre or those who get into looking at the spy agency. Tom Clancy did a lot of them, put it mildly. Yeah, well, and yeah, Todd Kessler. yeah, and and I think that, and I think that's an interesting, an interesting aspect because I think my my what we talked about that is that the difference between a spy story and, and an agent story is an agent story is more of like a yes, an investigator, and there's a lot, there's a lot of action in it uh, whereas a spy story can be well like a graham green novel uh, or, or, or somerset mom where they basically sit at a cafe and watch people walk by it's a little slower tempo oh yeah somerset mom but because he was pretty one of the realistic school of things saying that an awful lot of espionage is very mundane mm. very tedious it's not dramatic or exciting and so a lot of it's absolutely pointless <laughs> <laughs> and that he put into his book Ascendant, which is one of the classics of the realistic school of spy fiction. Is because I think the complicated part about an agent, secret agent story compared to a spy novel is that the secret agent story often has an inherent fear of other cultures and racism in it, as like with the James Bond books, if you think about like that they're often hybrids uh sexually deviant um, yeah, that's for sure yeah uh, does, does this some of that comes that? from sax aroma to be honest 
Yeah, well, yeah. Kind of, he made that kind of a staple of his uh, Fu Manchu books. And that was, they had a clear impact on uh, me and Fleming. But yeah, they had that British colonialism and imperialism in a lot of their stuff. And they didn't really like American secret agent fiction because they, you know, they're the Brits, they got the monopoly on it. Well, not anymore, but... <laughs> Well, I mean, um, is are there, would you say that there is any real like because we were talking about spies with Custler and and Tom Clancy and stuff like are there real true secret agent novels today? Is it is that because you yeah you there about are and I've interviewed some who kind of look into more contemporary problems and I've interviewed quite a few. Preston Fleming is one who I would point to. His last novel was one of the most. Um, uh, really hard-hitting novels I've read. I can't remember which one because I've read a bunch of his books where rendition's a big thing where uh, we're in the future and the American government wants to get rid of all these Muslims, whether they're terrorists or not. So what they do is they put them in body bags and they're still alive and they fly them over the sea and dump them. And that's the good guys doing it. And that's another thing about a lot of spy novels is it's often very difficult to know which side you should be rooting for because the good guys could be just as rotten as the bad. Mm. It's very, is it, didn't they do that in, I want to say Chile during the 80s? Isn't that like a method that they used to do? They in South do America, yeah. Yeah, Preston talked about that in an interview that Karina did with him that, um, yeah, he picked that up from the real world. You know, in South America, they did actually do that. You know, there's nothing as horrible as the real world, really. <laughs> we can pre we can try to imagine stuff all the time, but there's nothing that beats the real world when it comes to that kind of stuff. We're a strange species. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's the spy. So you've done you've written you have four, correct? Four nonfiction yeah. books about the spy uh, spy world in in different yes. uh, shapes or forms and. And, I mean, and how do you go about publishing a nonfiction book of that, of that magazine? Because are, are they traditionally published? Are they independently published? Or are it they self-published? It took me a while to find Prager publishers because back in those days, I used to go to a, a lot of literary conferences and there were two um, movie critics that I got to know, um, David B. and Cully and um, Mark Doisiak. And they knew I'd written that book they were trying to urge me to go to a university press that just kind of turned into a horrible nightmare it's mostly because they wanted to give permissions for all the photographs and that would mm. take it forever especially if you're trying to use pictures from tvs and movies because who owns the rights they keep selling the uh, rights to everything you know james bond's up for grabs right now they belong to amazon here shortly um <laughs> you know, that's the way it's, it's looking this like week, very weak um Oh, but then David B. and Cully became a series editor for Prager Publishers. They wanted to put out a series of genre books, and they launched with mine because mine was already written. Book was there looking for a publisher. They became a publisher looking for genre books. Ding, dang, dong, here we go. Now, the, the sad part about that, if you call it sad, is that, you know, after I signed the contract and everything, I learned that particular book was going to be at $29.95. And I went, oh, my. God, normal people aren't going to pay that much for a niche market book like this, but their market was libraries. 
Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that would have to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, but I went ahead and I wrote two more books for him because I got decent royalties, not royalties, but advances. And it's kind of a lot of fun. You write these books because you like doing them. Yeah. Uh, and you know to the get go. Well, there's one um, podcast that, no, there's a webinar I listened to where they said, if you're going to write nonfiction books like this, don't expect to get a whole lot of money out of them per se. Think of them as calling cards because that's the kind of stuff that gives you cred and that gets people coming to you to do things and that's exactly what happened that's how what led to me getting the la cohen stuff going and for a while there was a tv producer who had me helping him with scripts and putting a package together before he died um and then i got this five you know, all kinds of things came out of those books even though the readership i'm sure is not all that wonderful for any of them that's why i did the encyclopedia of TV spies actually was to turn all the stuff that I had in the expensive books and put it into a marketable book and that's when I went to Bear Manor Media and started publishing my books through them. Don't you think that all that I mean there must be some satisfaction in knowing that there are probably well university students or college grads that are looking to uh, maybe research or write about you know TV spies or spies. Yeah, you gotta go through me if you're gonna do that yeah. Yeah, and that, that, uh, that they have to pick up your book and, and uh, look at what you said, because I have, and I use it all the time, but for, just because of that, I have like none of the books that I'm talking about. I have uh, close by, but I have like the, the complete illustrated encyclopedia of fantasy, for instance, uh, which uh, my students, when they work with fantasy literature, uh, have to you know look through when they want to find like, a, uh, like something, something about a book or something about an author. So they have to go through David Pringle in order to find it, find it because there's nothing comprehensive that is collected in that way. So, I mean, it must feel nice to be able to be the one that, you know. Oh yeah, that does feel nice, especially when in those days I, I got to meet a lot of TV producers and actors and uh, you know, music composers, you know, all, of, all over the genre. Yeah, if you get to get into the community and you're considered an expert, um, you got the credentials and yeah, that was, like I said, a whole lot of fun. It was a um, um, good era to be working in until I got tired of spies. <laughs> so you got tired. So, well, actually I was going to say, and also being with a university press, I'm wondering would the royalties or the, the payouts, the advances been as good? Because I mean, if you go through a university press, is it more likely that your book would have been used as, as research material or is that not how that works? Well, I never, I was in American literature uh, scholar. That's what I got my PhD in. So I don't know a great deal about what um, theater arts or communication departments would do. Um, uh, I don't know. I can't really answer that. I don't know. I, I don't know that universities. It's, on the Mark Twain world, it didn't have to be university press for you to put out a credible book that all the Mark Twain scholars ran to. But of course, that's a fairly limited audience. Mark Twain yeah. scholars, there's a lot of us, but, um, you know, like more than a couple hundred people are going to want to read a book about oh, American procession or a biography of Mark Twain. There's so many of them now. Um, and there are all kinds of different publishers. I don't know that the, the particular publisher would impact a teacher's perspective on 
whether they want to use the book or not. I, I, I just don't know the answer to that. Uh, uh, so you're tired, you get tired of spies and then you are now, you move on to, well, we talked, you've done a lot of other things, but I, I would like to, to, to use this second half of this podcast to talk about your, your own creative writing. So tell us a little bit about how, how you got into your own, I mean, writing your own fiction. The concept for that kind of happened during my spy era because those, you get a book to a certain state, then you got to sit and wait for an editor to do their thing. And so I had these big gaps of time. And I remember sitting in my office over at Harrisburg Air Community College and I had this thought come to me because I'm blind. I don't know if anybody can tell that just looking at the interview here. Um, that um, what would happen to a blind man who is, well, to, to, yeah, to a blind man who's taken to a different planet. And on that planet, he understands nothing. He doesn't understand the language, he doesn't understand the customs. They treat him like a scientific experiment. So they're torturing him and all that. How is this guy going to survive? How mm. to thrive? And with that concept, um, the Beta Earth Chronicles began. And I quickly then started looking for things like, okay, well, how do I make this guy valuable? You know, just because he's from a different planet isn't all that much, um, probably. What is going to make him a, a fascination to the aliens on the other Earth? And that's when I came up with the plague with no name. On Beta Earth, they got hit with a plague millennia ago that kills three out of four male babies their first year. And so the scientists on Beta Earth are hoping that Malcolm Renborn, he's my blind alien, has DNA that might contain the cure to the plague. So that sets off a 40-year um, saga because that's, uh, no, no, he was on Beta Earth for about 20 years, that's right. And he's 20 years on Serapin Earth. But yeah, they, he's constantly kind of on the run in a way. They want to control him and control his offspring. And that gave me a chance because I really sometimes think of my books as kind of cultural anthropology. He and the family that develops around him are constantly on the run from one culture to another. And they're from different economic um, strata on beta earth. So we get to meet the planet person, like the, the different characters who are from different countries or regions and different classes and all of that. And you get to meet not just the family, but the entire planet um story by story by story character by character by character and um well that's a big part of it i got other things going on too but that's the genesis of it all and then is this a, i mean and this would be a series of books that um... yeah well yeah there's that's still ongoing um <laughs> the first four books are all about uh malcolm renberg building tribe renberg and his first 20 years of his life and for book four, I take him and four of his wives because Beta Earth is all polygamy. If you're, you know, it's a four to one uh, women to male ratio, yeah. multiple marriages, the norm, you know, that's, you know. Uh, but he, four of them get taken over to Sarah and Earth where they have a whole different mission. And he's there for, well, the family's there for about 20 years. I just put that in one book though. And after that, the different series that have spun off involve the children. I've got one set of children who were in a small spy stories, actually, 
um, on Beta Earth during an alpha, during a war on um, Beta Earth, and um, that that book is behind Alien Lines, mm-hmm. and kind of manageable because it's three short stories. Short stories are kind of easy for people to read, and then another group comes to our planet, and that's Return to Alpha and Alpha Tales, and um, it's our planet in the future, which is it's a different when you create a completely different planet everything's open you got a total tabula rosa um you can do anything you want to but if you're going to set stuff here on our planet even if it is 20 years in the future you've got to do an awful lot more research because you've got to be able to make it believable this happened here uh, this happened when and that kind of thing and it's because i have them in jamaica i have them in um British Columbia, they go have to go shifting around because they're constantly on the run. Um, but even after global warming, it's still going to be the United States of America geographically, even if politically it split us into four factions. Um, took a lot of research, and I mean, it's kind of fun. Yeah, it is. I mean, did you get inspired? I mean, you your your interest in spy, or I mean, you grew up when when there was a lot of spy <laughs> stories on TV and movies. Uh, did you experience a lot of, did you watch a lot of science fiction during that time too? Because there's a, a, a fair deal of science fiction coming out during that time too. Oh, sure. Yeah. And what we call spy-fi. Yeah. There's an awful lot of those spy shows were really as much science fiction as they were, you know, secret agent shows because they're always talking about masterminds who were using invisibility or earthquake machines or weather shaping machines or all kinds of gizmos and gadgets to kind of get things happening, a lot of technology. In fact, one of the things I remember in the encyclopedia, James Bond in the world of popular culture, once upon a time, people were really impressed with gadgets, you know, that was something yeah. people would see. Whereas now it's not so much. Everybody's got gadgets all over the place. Um, that's not going to be your hook to pull people in usually anymore. Um, where was I going with that? We were talking about. <laughs> Spy TV or science fiction TV shows. Oh my goodness, yes. Well, I yeah, I was never limited to any one genre of things. I mean, I've liked a lot of stuff: murder mysteries, Sherlock Holmes, um, you know, science fiction, sure, the movies. Uh, Frank Herbert's still my favorite author. Um, Philip Jose Farmer, you go on and on. Mm-hmm. I'll throw in the Marvel universe. That's really science fiction when you get down to it. Uh, we all read a lot of comics sixties, and I guess probably some people still do. I suppose. Um, I, I'm a very kind of very lot of eclectic interest. So yeah, oh yeah. and plus, well, did you think about TV spies in the seventies? Big Kahuna is a six million dollar man, mm-hmm. uh, and and shows like that, and Wonder Woman, and um, various invisible shows, Invisible Man shows, and things like that. There's a lot of science fiction that is was as much spy as it is science fiction. And the six million dollar man is sort of the classic. And then we come to the 80s where everything comes down to earth. When you got the equalizer and MacGyver and Scarecrow and Mrs. King, or all of a sudden they strip away all that spy-fi stuff, which doesn't really come back until alias and um well, the beginning of the 21st century. Yeah. Oh yeah, I almost forgot about alias. I, I was never a big alias fan. I remember what was it called Dark Angel. Yeah, Which, I remember hearing that. That was uh, I, I like that a little bit better. But I mean, it was I guess that was kind of like a mix of X Files and 
and stuff oh, like that. Oh yeah, X Files. Forgot about that myself there for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um. So 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 that is your. I mean, Beta Earth is an ongoing series. Do you have a? Yeah. I mean, do you have a plan for where it's going, where it's going to end, or are you just kind of like, well, I see that these are. I mean, sometimes we talk as writers, we talk about noisy characters. These feel like these characters of this world is very noisy, and it just still wants to be told. Right now, that's happening with my Mary Carpenter stories. She's not an alien. She's from our planet. She's a uh, investigator for the Dallas Infiltrators, 20 years in the future. So she investigates terrorist cells and smuggling rings and things like that. Um, 20. She's ultimately going to be in the Renberg family because she's going to marry Malcolm Renberg, too. And they're going to become the new Adam and Eve on our planet. But right now, I'm basically working a lot of her stories. And I've got other stories, you know, to get away from the beta earth thing. In fact, a couple of months ago, I belonged to a, a writer's critique group here. And one of the ladies there suggested that, and if you're gonna write, you ought to write a story about Plutonians getting upset that Pluto isn't a planet anymore. And they come to earth to complain about that. For a long time, I forgot about that idea. And then this last week, wait a minute, ding dong, ding dong. A whole bunch of ideas came together. And now I got a four page story and I can't see it expanding any longer than that because that's a pretty thin joke to you know, spread out too far. But, you know, little things come out of nowhere that um, end up being stories that have nothing to do with Beta Earth. Um, I got a little dangling things there. The Renburn tribe that's in Canada right now, I could carry on with more stories. I just don't happen to have any right now. Um, the aliens that are Beta Earth who just you know fought that war. I don't have anything for them to do really. I've got some characters I like to spend more time with, but you need stories, and I don't. I'm doing other things. Yeah, Eric <laughs> well, Carpenter yeah. is my thing right now, but um, yeah. Well, you can't. I mean, yeah, you can't. Uh, you can't force it. Um, no. I think that's the that's the difficult part. I mean, sometimes sometimes i can do it i can i can force a story out like right now i'm trying to <laughs> try to finish working an adventure story for an anthology that that we're publishing the the publishing house that i'm part of is publishing and it's supposed to be an adventure story in the classic sense um which would be like i mean obviously william lequeur who is an adventurer even uh, arthur conan doyle uh, which that isn't Sherlock Holmes and H. Ryder Haggard and stuff like that in that in that area. Uh, but I was, I was just uh, I'm just Are you not... still looking for stories. Uh, no, I, that that unfortunately that uh, is uh, that's closed. But um, we're doing a a, a actually I'll, I'll if if I can have your Facebook handle later I can invite you to our uh, our group on Facebook where we. Put out where you, right now we have what is our a mashup call where you take one genre and mash it up with a different oh yeah genre. i don't mash up it yeah and just kind of like so so people can just like be whatever i was thinking of now obviously i'm going to say this and somebody's probably going to end up stealing it but i was going to try to make up uh, i don't do you remember the movie gorillas in the mist with sigourney yeah. weaver yeah i was going to make a Sigour, uh, gorillas in the mist but mash it up with a creature from the black lagoon so that hey. so that a woman discovers like a whole tribe of creatures from the Black Lagoon, but like misguidedly thinks that she's helping them, and then they end up turning on her. 
because they're inherently, you know, they're beasts. This is kind of like what I'm toying with now. So we'll see. About I think that. you'll probably get to keep that idea. That's a real unique concept there. <laughs> Thank you. But the, the one thing that, so right now we were talking about forcing stories. And I mean, that's, yeah. and I, I'm working on a, a because I'm, I'm one of the, the publishers, we decided that we were each going to have a, a story in the anthology. But I had to scrap my entire idea because it was supposed to take place in in outside Chicago at the turn of the century, but I just couldn't get it to work. And it was supposed to involve river boats and everything. I just like, no, I'm not feeling it. So I just scrapped it. And now it takes place in the Argentine instead. Okay. In the Pampas Plains. So hopefully that'll end up with Thunderbirds as well. So we'll see where that ends up. My biggest, my first cure, I would say to other writers is if you're jammed up, on one story, work on something else. That's kind of like the spy books. That's when yeah. I jumped over and started the sci-fi spy, uh, spy stuff. And now, if I'm getting nowhere with one concept, well, I'll go work on something else. I've got a whole file of starting points. Or I've written a story, maybe four pages of it or so, and then, oh, okay, put that over here, and I start another one. And I got there. You can keep writing, you can keep being imaginative, you can keep being creative. Even if you can't get a straight line flow for whatever you got, um, you're trying different things. Yeah. The, the one thing I find, you were talking about uh, spies. I mean, we talked about spies and we talked about the, the, the secret agent stories and their kind of dubious relation to, to uh, politically, political correctness, with a, for lack of a better term. Do you find that that's difficult writing more modern fiction? Because we were talking about, I can't remember what his name is, but the gentleman who wrote Lovecraft Country, he also wrote a story where, I, I can't remember what it's called, if it's called The Mirage, maybe, where it's the 9-11 is uh, reversed, where it's actually the U.S. terrorists uh, bomb a, a Muslim building, a skyscraper of something. But I mean, you were talking about, um, you know, go, going rid, of, getting rid of terrorist cells and stuff like that. Are you ever afraid of making a certain group the bad guys, and like how you tread lightly when it comes to that kind of thing? We had a big discussion about that in my first Mary Carpenter story, my writers group. Is they were afraid that you know you're being too hard on Muslims. And I understand the concern because you want to point out that there's, you know, there are terrorist cells, but that doesn't reflect all believers. And I made a point in one of those stories to go through that you can't even really say the word Muslim anymore and it really have much of a meaning because there's all these different strains and threads, Sunni, Shiite, um, um, African-American Muslims. Uh, I forget, and there's so many splits and schisms amongst them all uh, that it's too complex to just say, you know, Islamic or Muslim. Um, it's just it's just too much going on. Um, and gender, that seems to be something that a lot of folks in my uh, group worry about too. You know, are women being portrayed um, seriously? Are they being portrayed more uh, three-dimensional and not just sexual objects and all of that 
Um, I do think that there is a huge, what they call a cancel culture over here, um, where, yeah, you've got to um, try to be representative. That's one thing I remember too about the shows in the 60s. They had buddies, Napoleon Solio, Anilia Kuryakin, and all that. Mm-hmm. Now you better have a male and a female. You don't have that <laughs> equality of gender. You, know, you really can't have buddy or like I spy. Um, Robert Coleman and Bill Cosby. No, they had breakthrough because of Bill Cosby. Mission um, Impossible, you had to have representatives of different um, ethnic groups. And that's just the way of the world anymore that everybody wants represented. So in my case, you know, Mary took on um, what I call the Everlasting Caliphate. That's an mm-hmm. international union of Islamic terrorist groups who us all these plagues on the planet that decimated us all. <clears throat> but then another story, she's dealing with white supremacists in Texas, their kind of terrorism. And then the latest two stories, she's fighting drug smugglers um, down in um, the Caribbean. So I try to shift around and keep, you know, not the same villains over and over again. Um, and I guess the one thing that worries me is not going too far down well-trodden ground. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with Islamic stuff, there's so many books, movies, and everything else about uh, those kinds of problems. And there gets to be a point where you're just kind of going bare. Somebody else is already gone. And that the only thing I can do to work avoid on that is to try to make things a little different, make the characters be what it's all about. Because if you like the characters, and the story is just kind of the um, scaffolding in which they operate. Mm-hmm. I think, but also in, in a way, you've got to think of, uh, see if I if I'm uh, lost my train of thought there a little bit. <laughs> I'm just it. You have to you have to look at we we write popular literature. And the essence of popular literature that it is supposed to be a slice of the time in which the popular literature that that particular book was was formed. I mean, obviously, you, I mean, so 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 you couldn't write John Le Carre couldn't write the spy who came in from the cold today. No, because no. the world the world doesn't look that way today. Um, right, yeah. And 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 even. Um, I mean, and, and that's true with with all of it. James Fenimore Cooper couldn't write the spy today, if you know, because the world doesn't look that way. So, I mean, in a way, where we're also children of our time, the problem oh, yeah. the problem is that there is a there is domestic terrorism, of course, as well. But right now, we deal with a lot of terrorist cells that are happen to be Islamic, uh, just as well as we we also. To deal with a lot of white supremacy and especially after which has been clear especially after the QAnon conspiracy and uh-huh. the, the storming of the capital it really I think shown a light on domestic uh, white if you want to call it that terrorism uh, but and I mean I, I'm not saying that it, it is our we have to write about that but it wouldn't be I mean nobody should be surprised that we do Right there, you go. That's the way to put it. Because that's why you can't you, you can't all of a sudden avoid an entire group um, that might bring the story and forward. And we worrying about political correctness can really tie you up in knots. 
because um, this culture over here is so divided. They talk about, you know, bringing us together and uniting us by partisanship. I don't think that's any more possible than probably landing on Jupiter in my lifetime. <laughs> we are just too divided. And well, it's true. The perspectives of those guys on the right are so, God, I can't even comprehend what they come up with, the ideas they come up with. Yeah. Or they, but it's the same with, I mean, if you look, I mean, you were talking about Muslims being divided and there being different tribes. And they say, I think they say that there's a lot of, somewhere around 111 very different variants of, of Islam in the world. 111, I hadn't heard that number, but that sounds right. Uh, but I mean, there's also a huge number of Christians in the world yes. that are different. I mean, a Catholic isn't the same as an always Orthodox, have been, yeah. An Orthodox Syrian isn't the same as an Orthodox Ethiopian. I mean, it's it's all they all do different things. They all say different things. They all believe different things, and they all eat different things. And I think you can't exclude. Um, yes, as you said, you can you can get tied up in knots with politically correctness, correctness, and you have to kind of. You have to write your own truth and you can't unfortunately you can't include everybody in it because you have a story to be told and you can't always worry about what other people are going to think in the end it's fiction what i was taught when i took different creative writing class is push the envelope make people uncomfortable that's a good way to put it because that's another thing we talk a lot about in that writers group is if you want to sell you can't offend anybody well, if you don't offend anybody, what can you do? <laughs> exactly. Why would it be? Why would I want to pick up a book that is just vanilla? Uh, I want to be challenged, and that's what reading is all about. Because otherwise, you can just read. And I don't mean to offend anybody who loves romance novels or Harlequin <laughs> books, but then that's what you can read. There you go. The same old formula. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, formulaic book, and then there are a bunch. I mean, look at the Pulp Fiction. Uh, books of the 20s and 30s and 40s, no matter if you wrote science, read science fiction or you read thrillers or if you read sword and sorcery, they were all formulaic. There's always going to be literature that is formulaic, and that is for the people who don't want to be offended or offend anybody. They do that kind of stuff. Now, if you want to challenge, then you're like John Campbell and you write the thing from another world. Uh, or who goes there, or whatever you want to call it, the, that book. I could never remember the real title. Never either, and I should. I think it's Who Goes There, right? Or was that the movie with James Arness? I don't remember, and I should say that. <laughs> anyway. Well, the reason I don't remember is I was just thinking about a point I wanted to begin here, was Return to Alpha is a book that I have completely revised, and it's really my new book out there now. Mm -hmm. And I'm really appreciating the reviews that are coming out saying that there's a message here, that there's something being said here that we need in times in which we live. And I love hearing that because the one concern that I've kind of had uh, for a while, ever since Blind Alien, that was another problem, is are these books saying anything mm -hmm. or are they just entertaining? That's something else we also talk about in the writer's group. Uh, for them, it's all, you know, don't offend anybody, follow all the rules, dot all the I's, cross all the T's, and, um, you know, entertain them. Keep the story going, keep the plot going, on and on and on. Well, if you, I want to say something. I want it to have some kind of meaning. I guess maybe that's back to that literature thing we were talking about at the beginning. 
Yeah, probably. Um, you're going to make it meaningful and have a long shelf life. It should say something. That's one of the, one of the things we're kind of working on right now. I think that I think you're right. I mean, because as I was saying, and that's you do that by pushing the envelope. Uh, because if everything is like politically correctness and stuff like that, there's never going to be any longevity in in your work. I think. I mean, because you can look at like Albert Camus, uh, the Stranger. Uh, uh -huh. I mean, it pushes the envelope. Now, I'm not a big fan of that book, but it pushes the envelope, and I can understand that. And that is the difference between a book um, sticking around for many years, like Animal Farm. Uh, yeah. or, or or books that don't say like and um, like obviously William Lequeur who did wrote you know he wrote I think he wrote something like, stories for his time yes like a hundred he like he wrote like a hundred eighty some novels or something like that during his lifetime and he was just churning them out and they they really they say nothing they're an adventure they're not even like you know some of them are set in the Arabian desert or whatever and they're not even like accurate. In his <laughs> yeah. betrayal. So, but when he did write stuff that was more, you know, about, I think he wrote a story that's called like The Battle for London, which is like really the only book that was ever around that still, that still is around. I mean, it said something real about a real threat of an attack on London. Um, and I think, and, and that what people deal with. And I mean, and that sticks around because, you know, it says something. But we're, who are we to judge what people want to write about, <laughs> really, in that form? They can, I think the main part is that people write, but you also, I think you, sometimes you have to kind of think about what is it, what is the reason, what I, why do I write? Do I write to just entertain, or am I writing to say something, or am I writing to make money? Those are all vastly different things. They are. I think. Well, we kind of went off on a tangent here. Tangents. That's fun. <laughs> uh, we are winding down here on time, but can you tell me just like what is your? You were talking about the, your latest release. Uh, yeah, Return just, to Alpha. That's the book I would really like people to check out and get interested in. That's the one we're trying to you know do the big push on this next mm -hmm. month or so. Because again, well, like I say, it's the one that's got. Well, if you look at the there's a couple of reviews up there that specifically talk about that it has something to say about modern times. And it's not just oh, one, one phrase was it's not just science and it's not just fiction. And mm -hmm. I like that. Um, it's or somebody else said about the first book, it's science fiction, but so much more. Um, well, okay, that's that's exactly what I'm gunning for. Well, Return to Alpha, I think, is gonna be an easy book for people to buy because the first four I tried to write as much in the beta earth dialect, and that throws people off. Yeah at the beginning, they get into it once they get past the first 20 pages or so, and they understand that there's these different rhythms and cadences of different characters. I worked very hard to give them all their individual distinct voices. Mm -hmm. And I may sound innovative and all of that, well, that's true, but that doesn't sell you books. You gotta make it easy for readers. I'll return to Alpha is straight ahead, same, you know, normal narrative, third person omniscience. <laughs> um overview of things and it is very different and there are a few tv spy elements in it i don't want to say what they are people can figure that out for themselves although i will well, i'll toss this one out Barry carpenter is physically and actively very much based on emma peel from the avengers no there you go 
and you, and you can choose worse people to to base your main character of them. Sure. Um, and if people want to connect with you, um, where do they go then? Do you have a, an author page? Uh, I have a million ways you can find me. I've got a Goodreads blog and a Goodreads page and an Amazon page and a website, www.drwesleybritain.com. I have actually two Facebook pages. One is personal and the other is the Beta Earth Chronicles page. Um, what else have we got? I think Karina's got a Twitter account, although I don't think we use it very much for anything. <laughs> um, I'm easy to find. If you just Google my name, you'll find all kinds of stuff. Uh, but I guess the website's the number one way to go. And mm -hmm. then you can subscribe to my free newsletter and find out what's going on every month for nothing. There you go. Perfect. Get free samples. Perfect, perfect. Well, Wesley, I it was a delight having you on. And as I said, we went on a couple of different rants. Maybe I don't know if we alienated some people with our opinions, but uh, hey, you got to push the envelope, right? I guess if people are going to listen to your podcast, they want to expect the unexpected. <laughs> exactly. Thank you very much. We don't want uh, a vanilla podcast. Well, thank you very much for coming on. It was a delight. Thanks um, for having me, big time. Best of luck on, on Return to Alpha, and I will definitely be picking it up. And, we'll, and people just fo uh, follow you on your newsletter and stuff like that. We'll we'll post all the links in the show notes. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Do you have well, them, or do I need to send them? Uh, well, usually we do this part after I've stopped recording, but I usually say send an author picture and some links, and we'll put them up. If you happen to have an author picture, or if you have your like your book cover or whatever you'd like to to. Uh, oh, we'll ask Karina. She's got all that stuff. Okay, I'll do that. Well, thank you very much for coming on once again. It was a delight. Well, thank you very much. And we're back. Uh, I would like to thank Wesley Britton for coming on. Please check out his nonfiction books about spies, uh, James Bond, and all of that good stuff. But also check out his fiction work, his science fiction work about uh, Alpha World, Beta World, all of that stuff. Um, I'd like to thank John Holtman for providing the music. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. Please follow us, give us a like, give us a rating, a review, what have you to help the algorithm. Uh, if you need help with marketing and such stuff, check out our sponsor, Creative Edge. Uh, they can help you with everything that you might need. Well, for now, thank you very much, and I'll talk to you later.